Let's go. Coming to you from the basement of the basement of WCPT 820 in Chicago, Illinois. It is the sports cubicle where the inmates run the asylum and the boss. Well, he will be mad at us because we are working overtime. Overtime to get you stuff like an NFL playoff update with Marver and Devin towards the end of the show. And maybe did Marver get the DePaul coach fired? I don't know. Vince McMahon is in some hot water. Mercado's going to talk about that. Plus, Doc Rivers is now the manager of the Milwaukee Bucks. And my my Liverpool FC is going to lose Jurgen Klopp at the end of the season. And Mercado and I talked to Joe Hodel, who released a book about sports role models. You will not want to miss this here on the Sports Cubicle for this week, January 28th, 2024. Mercado, take it away. We keep things rolling here on the Sports Cubicle. I'm your host, Mike Mercado. He's Paul Shivari, and it has been a busy show, but the good times keep on rolling here on the Sports Cubicle. Polly, what do we got coming up? So today we have a guest that is releasing a book. It's actually the second book in a series of three about various sports role models. We all know in this day and age where... Um, you know, there, there's uh, controversies with certain athletes and, and they're always kind of in the headlines. And, and sometimes the, the philosophy of should we consider certain athletes role models or not? Well, our guest here today wrote a book that shows examples and stories of various people that we should look to in the athletic world for their leadership skills. And he's also an expert in his own field, uh, character development and leadership, the name of his company and how he's applied that into uh, the high school curriculums around the United States. Our guest today is Dr. Joseph Hodel, who is the author of Sports Role Models, book number two in the series that's going to be out coming up here. Uh, Dr. Hodel, thank you for joining our show today. Yes, uh, great to be here. And and just call me Joe, please. All right, Joe. Um, So this book coming out, it's the second in a series of three. It's out soon. Um, Can you give us a preview of some of the athletes that are going to be featured in this book coming up? Sure. We actually have uh, we have three books uh, conveniently called Sports Role Models, book one, book two and book three. And uh, they're all out. Um, But I would say for um, for book two, um, you know, some prominent names that, that you would know. We'd have uh, Walter Payton, uh, John Wooden, Jim Valvano, J.J. Uh, Watt. If you remember Muggsy Bogues, I'm sure you do. Uh, one, of oh, my, yeah. one of my favorites in here. Uh, Barry Sanders, Kurt Warner, Herb Brooks, who, who um, actually uh, was the coach of the 1980 Olympic team that won the gold medal. So those there's there's 34 in here, um, probably a lot of them that you would know and love and admire and look up to, but sometimes it's people that you've never heard of before, um, for instance, like a Pete Frades or um, um, you even have a, a high school girl in here by the name of Carolyn Found. So just just a number of different stories, human interest stories. Well, and I was going to ask uh, originally when I when I found out that we were going to do doing this interview, I was going to ask if you were going to include coaches in this. And I saw John Wooden's name, but that's exciting to see that you know Jim Valvano is another person that name uh, comes up. You know, and then you did say some of the lesser known ones, and I I don't know much about Pete Frady, so I'm excited to see that you kind of do feature some of the lesser known people as well. I guess in in my opinion, this just seems like a perfect collection for like a cof- a coffee table book, a great kind of icebreaker sort of book that kind of introduces people, I think, to some of the, the, the new stories, the old stories, and maybe things that they didn't quite know before they, they opened the book. Uh, I, I would agree. I, I kind of think of it as, uh, remember uh, January 1st and uh, all these uh, American households around the country are s- sitting up until one o'clock in the morning watching the semifinals of the uh, you know NCAA um, uh, football. And, and I think you're a sports fan if you do that. If you sat around watching all these playoff games last week, you know you're a sports fan. These, I, I wrote these books basically for for that. You know, for those people, and and it's the stories behind the stories. Um, you know, you think you know Walter Payton, um, but there's a reason that he is the the namesake for the NFL Man of the Year, and and it really goes about telling stories like that. 
Joe, one of the things that has really disheartened me over the last few months, if not the last few years, has been the loss of great sports journalism when it comes to profiling certain stories and certain athletes. And we lost it when, you know, at this point, Sports Illustrated doesn't exist anymore. And that was a gateway for a lot of us to Mm. see these stories, like seeing what some of these great athletes are doing behind the scenes on and off the field. And I wonder for you to bring these stories to light in a day and age where I will say not just the sports fan, but whether you're a fan of Star Wars or the Beatles, we are much more cynical now, or it seems that way because of social media and just the openness of being able to have our opinion everywhere. What made you, what drove you to show the positive when we know that in 2024, revenue is driven by clicks and clicks get a lot more when you're showcasing the negative and the dirty and showcasing all the gross and grime opposed to actual stories like this, where you're bringing the best of the best from people we see every day. Yeah, it's a a great, great question. And it's a, it's a long way around. Um, But we have, we have this uh, nationwide program. It's called the student athlete program. And it's an app based program designed to develop the character, leadership and sportsmanship of high school athletes. So your local schools, the AD would, would, you know, purchases to be funneled down to all the coaches to be used with all the athletes. And what we do is we provide these, these five lessons in a week that teaches a certain trait. Okay. And one of those five lessons are, are the sports role models that, that I, I, I came to understand that, that we all can be inspired. And more importantly, we want to be inspired. You know, we want to hear about the great stories. We want to, we want to know the stories behind the stories. Not, not just that you can put a ball through a hoop or score, score a touchdown. It's, it's what you do as a person. What is your character? Like, how do you give back? Um, What do you do for the fans? How do you represent the game? And, and those stories um, I think inspire people to do better and be better. And that's really the, the the main reason why I wrote these books. So let me ask you this. How important is it for you, especially when you're dealing with these these young adults, these these people, these student athletes that are going to be the leaders of this world in the future, telling them to and explaining to them all sides of the stories? Where where are you on that fence where it's highlighting all the great stories, all the triumphs, all the things that an athlete has to overcome and also spotlighting some of the dirtiness and some of the grossness and teaching them to look and be aware of these things so that they don't make the same mistakes of past generations and that we are continuously growing for the thing that we love most. And that is sports. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a tight line, uh, tight rope, isn't it? I mean, you've, you've got to be able to show people examples of, of things that have happened where people have, suffered the the consequences from them. You know, and I, if I close my eyes, I I think of people like Michael Vick. Um, I think of Lance Armstrong. I think of Pete Rose. And, and there's just so many examples in sports history where people had poor character and they made poor choices. Think about Tiger Woods. I mean, in 2008, this, this guy was as, as high as you could be in terms of on the, on the pinnacle, um, of, and, and 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 then we find out that he has basically ten different women in ten different countries. Um, you, you know that he was having affairs with while he's married. So that was a major character flaw. So I think it's important to for kids to learn from that. But then I also want them to understand that there are people that have these strengths as well. And I want you to learn from that as well. How long did it take you over these years? Because this has obviously been something that you have enjoyed doing and, and there's been so many benefits and there's so much testimonial to talk about, but to learn as time has gone on to see the difference between the art and the artist, in this case, the athlete and the sport and what they do and trying to find that line of this is a great example, or this is a great way to measure some of these athletes. How tough is that for you and the entire team to, continuously evolve in that evaluation of what society is looking for in our quote unquote heroes, in our athletes and our role models. Yeah. that. So what we did, um, this was about 2014. Um, we, we got together a number of uh, high school coaches and we asked them, what are the traits that, that sports does teach or that it should teach? And we came up with, I'm going to say close to a hundred different traits, right? Uh, confidence and, 
you know, composure and, and uh, desire and focus and perseverance, all those types. And what we did is we rank ordered those, you know, based on these 20, 20 coaches and we rank ordered them. And those are the, those are the traits that basically um, we, we wrote our chapters about. So then it was really about, <laughs> it's, it's really a long-term process because I have, we have, we're basically going to have a hundred and 136 different athletes. Um, and so it's four people for every trait. So if you could actually see my Excel spreadsheet of all the people that, that say, for instance, uh, exemplify uh, leadership, that's a long list. Um, and then to select just four people that exemplify that, it's very subjective. And probably who I would choose is probably different from who you would choose. Was there someone specific that you considered a role model in the you know sports world kind of growing up or someone that kind of you know, was the first person you thought of when you started doing these books, like, okay, well, if we're, if I'm going to do this, this is the guy that's number one in my head that, that is going to be on the list. I would probably say Barry Sanders. Mm, okay. Uh, I, I, I mean, I grew up, I grew up in, in Michigan in about the time when he was um, playing and pinnacle of his career. And just to see him um, and, and, first of all, he's a human highlight reel, right? I mean, he would, he would take a simple run off tackle and he'd break it out to the left-hand side and there'd be three defenders. He'd spin around on a dime and go all the way to the right side, juke out some players and go into the end zone. And we would all be yelling and screaming saying, this is the greatest play we've ever seen. And what would he do? He would hand the ball to the ref and he wouldn't make a big deal about it. It wouldn't be me, 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 no, no choreographed uh, dances. And what he'd do is high five a couple players and he'd go to the bench, he'd sit down and he'd, he'd drink his Gatorade. And there were, I think there were probably millions of, of parents saying to their children, now this is how it's done. You know, and I, I think that's such a great example. Um, and he's done so much off the field too, in terms of his charities. It's, it's really, it's really an amazing story. So I'm so glad you brought this up. I want to go two different ways, okay? The first one I want to go is more, uh, let's save the the real fun stuff for the second part of this. So we'll start a little bit more heavy on this one. What do you, somebody like Michael Jordan, here in Chicago, we know the, the reverence that is MJ, their statues, children are still being named Michael Jordan in 2024. They haven't won a championship since 98. (laughs) <laughs> when you're writing a book like this and, you know, obviously growing up and, and watching the bad boys and everything that's happened since then, how do you how would you detail? What, what, where do you fall when it comes to someone like Michael Jordan after you wrote Sports uh, Role Models book one, two and three? And it's like he's a goat, but there's a lot of stuff that goes into Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Yes. And, and um, you know, how I how I go about that is. Uh, I'm not picking Boy Scouts. You know, this this mm. is not uh, – every person is not Tony Dungy, and Tony Dungy is a saint. I mean, <laughs> when someone gets in trouble um, in the NFL and they want they want to be redeemed, they, they the NFL sends them to Tony Dungy. Um, so if I wrote 100 and some stories uh, basically of a Tony Dungy, I think he might be a little bored. Um, so what I did is I, I selected people that exemplify traits, okay, so when I wrote about Michael Jordan, I wrote about him and his trait is competitiveness. All right. So I'm focusing on how he exemplified competitiveness. Um, and so I, I guess, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing, I'm not, I'm not focusing on the gambling stuff that we heard about mm-hmm. or, 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 or those types of stories. Um, I, I'm focused on what, what made him great. Um, and then how we really exemplified that trait. And I hope that makes sense. No, it does. And I think something that we're all trying to make sense here is the Detroit Lions are so close to a Super Bowl. And we know that they are an amazing story. And I, where do you, something like that for you just must just peek and, and make you smile and giddy knowing that in, in book number four, you get to mention possibly the Super Bowl champion, Detroit Lions. It's it's possible, and I think there's a number of people on that team, including the coach, that seems to have you know elements of of good character. I mean, we I don't know the stories behind the stories at this point, but I I certainly know that uh, that word grit is being thrown around a lot, um, and 
who knows, maybe they could pull it off. And there's there's just a just a great story underneath there. We're speaking with Joe Hodel, who released uh, uh, three books, Sports Role Models. Uh, we're talking about book two right now, but of course, all three are out right now. Um, Joe, I you know I saw you got your PhD from Michigan State University. Is Tom Izzo uh, one mm. of the people mentioned uh, in these books, or is that someone you considered? Uh, he's he's been he's on the list, but he didn't he didn't make the cut, um, and. Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of feel bad about that because I think he, <laughs> I, I I think wanna, he is a great leader. I don't want to put but, any pressure um, on you about that. Hey, maybe a book four. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's possible. He's on the list for book four. But um, there's so many. You know, think about it. If you had to list the top, you know, 50 coaches and then you're only going to write about one for leadership, you know, it's a it's a it's. Man, it's a, it's a fine line there. And you selected John Wooden, who's kind of just right. the, the, the grandfather yeah. of NCAA yeah. men's basketball. So I could I can understand what a tough decision that was. But I wanted to ask you about your work with character development and leadership. Um, it, it seems like it's kind of your baby, your company. Um, I, I saw that there's a couple of different curriculums that you do. Uh, you know, one um, in the classroom, and then the the student athlete one. You kind of touched upon a little bit. Could you tell us a little bit about that, and maybe some of the results that that you seen out of these these projects that you've done? Uh, absolutely. So we started the, the company back in 2003, and these programs are used in about 3,500 high schools around the country. Um, you're in Chicago, right? Chicago area? That's correct. So uh, like Simeon, um, okay. th- they use it, it, they use it there. Um, but think of it as a leadership class. Okay. So so um, probably 60% of high schools in the country have a leadership class, and the teachers are looking for a curriculum, you know, basically a course for them to be able to teach. And and um, and we've we've uh, for 3,500 schools, you know, that's that's what they use. And then, like I said, the the offshoot of that was a student athlete program. So there are so many coaches that taught this class. They said, well, that's great, Joe, but I want to make a difference with my athletes in an athletic environment. You you know, do you have anything for that? Mm -hmm. And for, I would say, at least 10 years, I said, no, we didn't. And then finally, I went back to all these coaches and I said, if you were going to have a program that would do that, make an impact on your athletes, uh, get them to make better decisions, you know, get into less trouble, work harder, be more loyal, be a better teammate, what would that look like? And that's what we developed um, uh, for the athletes. What do you think, Joe, is the biggest difference these athletes have to deal with, the the circumstances, the distractions, whatever it may be, whether it's expectations of schooling and having the right results on and off the field? What are some of the things that have really impressed you and and you've seen growth-wise when it comes to these student athletes, these young people who are developing in this crazy world that we have right now that you see every single day? Are you talking about the negatives or the positives? Positives, the positives, because uh, you, like we said, we we there's a there's enough negativity out there. What are the positive things you see of these athletes with the world full of these negatives? Yeah, I, I think I think um, you know, I I think it's a realization and it's an understanding of of what it takes um, to really to really make it in terms of um, of athletics. Um, you know, it it is starting to understand that it's it's more than just having physical talent. It's it's applying that, and it's um, it's seeing the people that that really do make it and how hard they work, the the exercise, the fitness, the diet, um, and and I think understanding of of what it really takes and all the perseverance and the dedication that it takes. How much is the surroundings of of these athletes, the family dynamic when it comes to being all in and all this has an impact in the the athletes that can have that opportunity that are that are, you know, blessed enough to have X, Y or Z. But that family dynamic of everybody being all in and how, how big of a factor has that been? Has has that been a growing trend that we've seen? Yes. And I wouldn't say that's all for the for the positive. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wouldn't, um, you, you know, the number one reason that high school kids play sports, do you know what that would be mm. for enjoyment? It's, 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 it's fun, yeah. fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The number one, the number one reason that, that the high school kids stop playing sports is because it's not fun anymore. Mm. So we, we do have to keep that in mind and understand that, that less than 2% of these high school athletes will go on to college even, so um, I think it is. If, if I'm a, if I'm a 
high school uh, coach, which I am, I coach girls golf, you, you, you've got to make sure it is fun. It is something that they feel like um, they, they learn these life lessons of sports and, and what it can teach because they're dramatic um, and apply that to your own life. But, uh, but also to, to be a good teammate um, and to, you know, in, enjoy the sport and understand uh, what it can offer you down the road. Our guest today is Joe Hodel. He released a book, Sports Role Models, book two. It's a three-part series. They're all out now on Amazon. Uh, look for them. There's 34 athletes profiled in this book. Some names that you might know, like uh, Dick Vitale or uh, Billie Jean King, John Wooden, some names that you might not know. Um, and then for Chicagoans, there's some uh, local heroes detailed in this one as well. Uh, Elena Deladonna, Walter Payton, of course, Jenny Finch, Danica Patrick, amongst so many more. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for joining our show today absolutely it's uh, great to be a part of it and if they if they do want to get the book it's at amazingrolemodels.com and we'll leave a link down to below if you're following us all over the socials like on twitter at sports cubicle tv and of course at the youtube channel at sports cubicle tv joe thank you so much we got more coming up next here on the sports cubicle i'm mike mercado he's paul shivari So this story that has hit the newswire really has shaken both sports and entertainment. This is coming, this news coming just a few days after a huge monumental deal was struck by WWE and Netflix. Vince McMahon, WWE, are being sued by an ex-staffer who alleges sexual misconduct and sex trafficking. And we are here to break it down on the Sports Cubicle. I'm your host, Mike Mercado. And of course, we were talking about that huge deal. The Rock now joining the board of TKO, the company that owns the UFC and the WWE. We were talking about the media rights deal that the WWE just signed with Netflix and what that might mean for not only the wrestling world, the WWE universe, but also sports broadcasting and the media rights that are coming up for the NFL and NBA over the next few years. And then this story drops by the Wall Street Journal. If you weren't aware, there was a investigation going on a few months back about Vince McMahon and Hush money. We've been talking about this over the last few months, and I wanted to break down this story that was posted on ESPN.com. This is from the ESPN News Services. It's Vince McMahon, WWE sued ex-staff for alleged sexual misconduct. A former WWE employee filed a federal lawsuit Thursday accusing executive Vince McMahon and another former executive of sexual misconduct, including offering her to a star wrestler for sex. And since then, the alleged names are John Laurinaitis and and Brock Lesnar. Those are just names alleged in this scenario, but I think it's important to understand who is being named to these things because you might have read reports that Brock Lesnar has now been taken out of creative ideas in the WWE. The article continues, the 67-page lawsuit from Janelle Grant, who worked in the company's legal and talent departments, includes allegations that McMahon, now 78, forced her into a sexual relationship in order for her to get and keep a job and passed around pornographic pictures and videos of her to other men, including other WWE employees. McMahon stepped down as WWE CEO in 2022 amid an investigation into allegations that matched those in the lawsuit, which was filed in the U.S. District Court in Connecticut, where WWE is based. The lawsuit also names WWE and John Laurinaitis, the company's former head of talent relations and general manager, as defendants. Grant's representative said she wished to go public about her allegations. Quote, Miss Grant hopes that her lawsuit will prevent other women from being victimized. Her attorney, Ann Callis, said in a statement, quote, the organization is well aware of Mr. McMahon's history of depraved behavior, and it's time that they take responsibility for the misconduct of its leadership. End quote. A spokesperson for McMahon released a statement saying he, quote, will vigorously defend himself. This lawsuit is replete with lies, obscene, made-up instances that never occurred, and a vindictive distortion of the truth, the spokesman said. WWE's parent 
company, TKO Group, also issued a statement saying it's taking the allegations seriously. Quote, Mr. McMahon does not control TKO, nor does he oversee the day-to-day operations of WWE, TKO Group said. Quote, while this matter predates our TKO executive team's tenure at the company, we take Ms. Grant's horrific allegations very seriously and are addressing this matter internally. End quote. Email and social media messages seeking comments were left by the Associated Press for Laurinaitis. According to the lawsuit, McMahon lived in the same building as Grant and in 2019 offered to get her a job at WWE after her parents died. She alleges that he eventually made it clear that one of the requirements of the job was a physical relationship with him and later with Laurinaitis and others. Over the next few years, McMahon lavished her with gifts, including a luxury car, the lawsuit says. It also alleges that McMahon offered one of his star wrestlers, a person not named in the lawsuit, sex with Grant as a perk in 2021. And again, allegedly that name that's been rumored is Brock Lesnar. And we'll see how that's impacted by this entire story, whether or not these allegations are found to be true, because that is a major star in multiple sports and a huge ripple effect will happen if these rumors are true. We continue with the article. Grant is seeking unspecified monetary damages and to have the court void a $3 million non-disclosure agreement, of which she alleges she received only $1 million. WWE merged in April with the company that runs UFC to create the $21.4 billion sports entertainment company TKO Group Holdings, and McMahon serves as that group's executive chairman of the board. A lot to digest, a lot of news. It couldn't happen at a worse time for the company. It couldn't happen at a time when there was so much momentum for the company. We are here at Royal Rumble weekend. We are here at the road to WrestleMania. They are selling out arenas and stadiums and this story is now just leaving a stain on the company. And it goes to show what happens when there's not checks and balances in some of these major corporations and pro sports leagues. And this situation continues to be very fluid because this has just dropped from deadline. Vince McMahon in a new statement as he officially resigns from TKO. Quote, I stand by my prior statement that Miss Grant's lawsuit is replete with lies, obscene, made up instances that never occurred and is a vindictive distortion of the truth. I intend to vigorously defend myself against these baseless accusations and look forward to clearing my name. However, out of respect for the WWE Universe, the extraordinary TKO business and its board members and shareholders, partners and constituents, and all of the employees and superstars who helped make WWE into the global leader it is today, I have decided to resign from my executive chairmanship and the TKO board of directors effective immediately. So we'll continue to cover this story as Vince McMahon is now out of his spot at TKO and we have now seen even sponsorship leave the WWE So make sure you guys keep it tuned in to the Sports Cubicle as we'll be keeping our eye out on this very troubling story as it develops more and as more details come out. So this story that hit earlier on this week really piqued a lot of people's interest in the sports media and NBA world. And we want to break it down here on the Sports Cubicle. I'm your host, Mike Mercado. And Doc Rivers is now the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. This news story broke in the middle of a NBA TV, NBA TNT segment, CNN Sports broke the news. Not Woj, not Shams, but it ended up being true. The next day, it ended up being broken everywhere. All the major reporters, they confirm it. And Doc Rivers is now back in the NBA. And I want to check this out from Yahoo Sports. This is from Jason Owens. Bucks hired Doc Rivers as head coach with hopes that he can lead them to a championship. Doc Rivers is back in the NBA. The Milwaukee Bucks have hired Rivers as their head coach after firing Adrian Griffin 43 games into his tenure. ESPN Adrian Wojnarowski reported on Wednesday. Rivers takes over a 30-13 and 13 as of this recording. Bucks team sitting three and a half games behind the Boston Celtics in second place in the Eastern Conference as of this recording. The Bucks hired Rivers with their sights squarely set on a second NBA championship in four seasons. Milwaukee stunned the NBA by dismissing Adrian Griffin Tuesday amid the 30 and 13 start. Griffin took over this season for the fire Mike Bullenholzer, who was fired last offseason after the top seeded Bucks fell in the first round of the playoffs to the Miami Heat. General manager John Horse declined to elaborate on why Griffin was fired in a brief statement announcing the decision. But a decline on defense and analytics 
athletic measures may have convinced Milwaukee's brass that Griffin wasn't the man to lead the Bucks to a championship. Horst then clarified his decision on Wednesday ahead of the Bucks game against the Cleveland Cavaliers and insisted that Griffin hadn't lost the locker room before he was fired. Quote, this is not about players' comments, Horst said via ESPN. This is not about things said or unsaid. This is my job. This is an organization's job at the top to evaluate every single day all areas of the organization and feel like whether we're getting or not getting the most, we can out of that group. If we feel like we can maximize the talent of this group better, we made a change. That's why we made it. End quote. And we suggest you check out the entire article by Jason Owens. Bucks hired Doc Rivers as head coach with hopes that he can lead them to a championship. And there's so much to break down about this, right? Like, Milwaukee brought in Doc Rivers as an advisor this season. And I guess he advised ownership to be like, I think I'm probably the guy to be the coach of this team. And a horrible Doc Rivers impression. But, I mean, that's kind of sus, right? Like, you go in and you're advising to fire the coach so that you could become the coach of Giannis? And let's talk about Giannis, my favorite player in the NBA. I wish he was playing at the United Center as a Chicago Bull and not as a Buck. But we know he was the guy that wanted to bring in Asian Griffin after firing Boot, right? Like, we knew that was the case. And every major player in the NBA has gotten a head coach fired. It's just part of the becoming part of the club. This is a team that's in title contention, a top seed in the Eastern Conference. And what's really telling is then watching how the players' body language and how they were acting the first game post-firing of Adrian Griffin. And you hear a lot about people liking Adrian Griffin off the court or as a guy, as a bench member of your coaching staff. But for him to get fired before the All-Star break in his first season is a Huge telling sign that they may say he didn't lose the locker room, but that man lost the locker room. And it had to be so bad because they are now paying Budenhauser and Adrian Griffin and now Doc Rivers, who just signed a deal up to 2026-2027 season. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. But I do give him credit about this. Unlike what we were saying here in Chicago, right, about the Bears and what we saw with Jed Hoyer and the Cubs, the difference They made a move because they want to win now. They don't want to waste any part of their window. And if they think that this is what's going to get them closer to that, they're going to do it. Now, I believe Doc Rivers, as good of a coach as he may be, he is very much in question as a head coach in the NBA when it comes to winning a championship. And the decisions he makes come playoff time when games matter outside of one season in Boston. So there are plenty of things to talk about, but I do... Give props to ownership of Milwaukee. They made a move. They were not going to waste their time. They're not going to waste their time that they have with Dame after all that nonsense they had to go through to trade for him in Portland, trying to beat out and box out Miami for Dame Lillard. And now you're trying to keep Giannis happy? Winning cures all. And it felt even though as a third seed, only three and a half games back, winning wasn't solving what was going on with the Milwaukee Bucks. But they have to play better defense. They already changed how they're playing defense compared to Adrian Griffin, what he was doing bringing that defense from Toronto to Milwaukee. But now it's on the Bucks players. And it's on Doc Rivers. Because if you were going to be there as a front office advisor and find a way on that bench, you better win a finals. You better make a run. So, I mean, and shout out to Adrian Griffin who wasn't going to resign because he was going to make sure that you were going to fire me. So I got every bit of that money coming to me. So crazy stuff, though. Let us know your thoughts. What do you think about this? Adrian Griffin out as coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. And now Doc Rivers is the head coach of Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks. We got more coming up next here on the Sports Cubicle and Sports from the Couch. I'm your host, Mike Mercado. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. We're on SoundCloud on WCPT 820. Make sure you check us out there. And of course, wherever you get your favorite podcast at Sports from the Couch, check out the video version of all our podcasts over on YouTube at the Sports Cubicle. Well, if you've been listening to the Sports Cubicle for the two or three years that we've been doing this show, you might have caught on to the fact that I am a soccer fan or football, as uh, we like to call it in that community. And particularly, I am a fan of the Liverpool FC Football Club. Uh, A little redundant there. But anyway, Liverpool is in the English Premier League as well as, you know, all the other competitions that they're in in Britain and in Europe. And this week, their manager, Jurgen Klopp, who's been there for eight years, which is a pretty long time to be with a team in this day and age, he said he was going to step down at the end of the season. Now, they're in the middle of four different competitions. There's two different domestic cup tournaments, essentially, 
with uh, all of the different tiers of English football. And then there's, of course, the English Premier League, which is the, the league that they play, you know, the other teams that they're trying to win the league against. And then they play in the Europa League, which is kind of the second tier uh, behind the Champions League as far as different European clubs. They're still alive in all of those. They're going to compete for at least one trophy that we know of with the League Cup as they're booked to play against Chelsea at Wembley Stadium at the end of February. Uh, but with, with this, uh, they've come close to winning all four competitions. That's not really the important part, but it's it it's the... Most games, they did this two years ago, the most games they could possibly play in a single season by playing all the way to the final in the FA Cup, all the, which they won, all the way to the final in the League Cup, which they won, all the way to the final of the Champions League, which they ended up losing, and all the way to the end where they almost won the Premier League, which no matter what, you're going to play the 38 matches in the Premier League anyway. But they they played the maximum amount of matches any team could possibly play in a given season, taking it all the way to the end. It had its effects on the next season after that, and then flash forward to the season after, which is this season, and Jurgen Klopp says that he's burnt out. And he never really said about the too many competitions, but as someone that follows the team closely, I can tell you that in the past, and, and you know repeatedly over the years in press conferences, he's talked about how there's too many competitions. Couple that with the fact that there's international breaks for the clubs, where some of the players break down and they go to their national countries and play more games throughout the season, or if they have to stop for the World Cup or the Euros or you know whatever different tournaments there might be. Uh, right now, there's a couple of players on Liverpool that are playing in the African uh, Cup of Nations and the Asian Cup right now. But as as far as this though, I I think it's as sad as I am to see Jurgen Klopp go. And 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 for those of you that you know really don't know who he is. Uh, he he really is a great manager, very very genuine, classy type of manager. Sure, he has his uh, skeletons, he's had his dark moments, but he really is uh, such a caring and considerate individual. Had a great relationship with the fans, and he's going to be sorely missed, and especially for a historic franchise like Liverpool to be up there with the greats is is fairly impressive. And if he can win the Europa League trophy. This May, that would complete, he would have one of every single trophy he could have possibly won with Liverpool, uh, Champions League, Premier League, FA Cup, the League Cup, uh, FIFA World, or the FIFA Club World Cup, and the uh, Super Cup. So, I mean, that, that's impressive right there that he's able to do that. And, you know, I'm not even talking about the Community Shield and, you know, that 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 sort of thing. But uh, it's it's just neat in this day and age, though, where someone like this can recognize that for the sake of their own mental health, that they should step away from such a high profile and important and, and a big job. I mean, face it, you know, whoever is managing a club like Liverpool or a major major club or team around the world, you know, all eyes are on you. It's a results-based business. You could get hired and fired very easily. And, uh, you know, you could be a journeyman constantly living, uh, you know, different places year to year, different clubs. So for him to have that sort of sustainability, to to compete at that high of a level, to have those sort of accolades and honors as the manager of the team. It's a very impressive resume, but it is high octane. And he described it kind of as if he was an automobile and he was, you know, uh, goes, uh, you know, like a sports car that goes about 130 miles an hour. And it's, you know, a little beat up, but it's still in great condition. But only he sees the needle and he sees that it's almost empty and it's time for a rest and to refill. So he said he's not going to manage for at least a year, any club or country. And he said if he ever manages, uh, you know, he he won't go back to England because he cannot manage any other club aside from Liverpool. Who knows if he ends up back at Liverpool and who knows who ends up managing Liverpool from here on out. Uh, the popular names are Xabi Alonso, who used to play for Liverpool SC. There's also Steven Gerrard, of course, the famous uh, captain from Liverpool, uh, who's just re-upped on a contract with the team that he manages in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Zissou, uh, Zinedine Zidane, uh, the French uh, uh, former manager and player, the superstar, has been rumored to be at Liverpool. That's quite interesting. Um, of course, Josie Marino is looking for a job right now. And I know there's uh, several names that are being thrown about right now. Uh, we'll see. And it's going to be exciting. And as a fan, it's um, I'm sad. I'm really sad. This is uh, all I really know about Liverpool as far as when I watch the day-to-day -day for them. Uh, Jurgen Klopp is, is all I really know. Um, and whichever manager steps in, regardless of how great of a manager they are, they're never going to be able to replicate the culture that Jurgen Klopp created. And it'll be 
amazing to see who's going to be able to fill those big shoes. So it was worth talking about as a headline I saw on ESPN, CNN. Uh, not often that a manager gets the right to step down on his own accord. And congratulations to Jurgen Klopp. And let's see if they can win these. They're still alive in four competitions. They won today against Norwich City in the FA Cup. So that means they get to the fifth round now. So I think that's like the round of 16 in the FA Cup. They're playing in the final in the League Cup. They're top of the table in the Premier League right now. And they await who their opponent will be in the round of 16 in Europa League when that resumes this spring. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Follow it all on the Sports Cubicle as we talk about soccer all around the globe. Well, Marvelous, we at least know who's going to the AFC. And I mean, I'm going to have to buy a lottery ticket from you because if I remember correctly last week, you said the Chiefs are going to be a team to win. Yep. I think I also said that at the beginning of the season. And they just have that magic, the Mahomes magic. No matter what kind of talent or lack of talent he has, he manages to just, I mean, he's amazing because um, even when he's being rushed, I mean, I think he was uh, sacked for the first time this season today, by the way. The postseason. Just, he, yeah. He gets rid of the ball, you know, when he's in danger. And sometimes he makes a play when he's when he's like almost sacked. So it's just amazing. He has that magic and you know, they've got Taylor Swift, so that's obviously a big plus. <laughs> I mean, they only showed her once today. I mean, yeah, she's something pretty and nice to look at. But yeah, definitely it was something that um I think you're onto something here, Marver, because it definitely seems like the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes really know how to turn this around or you know, light it up when the postseason comes. Because, you know, look at Patrick Mahomes. He was 30 for 39, 241 yards with one touchdown. Not exactly great numbers, but going for 30 for 39, that is effing insane. You know, he had 15 yards off, uh, 15 rushing yards, I should say. And just what I really noticed about the Chiefs here, Marver, this might have been on Mahomes, this might have been on Andy Reid. They were really good at clock management. At the end of the first half, going into halftime, the Ravens only held the possession for nine minutes. It's like they knew what they were doing here. And do you definitely think with a different coach, with a coach that isn't Andy Reid, would the Chiefs be as good as they are? I mean, he's definitely a good coach, but, you know, the Ravens shot themselves in the foot. They they fumbled the ball at the one-yard line, and then they get, you know, a a taunting penalty, uh, and they, you know, those those were key factors because they only lost by seven. <laughs> so that potential touchdown would have made a big difference. So I think it was their mistakes as much as anything else. Um, and Reed, you know, he's proven that he's a, a great coach. And but then again, the question would be if Reed had been the coach of the Bears this year, how would he have done? <laughs> Uh, let's not go into that one, Marvel. Let's stop thinking about what might have been here. But yeah, you do bring up a good point because I that fumble, that was that was pretty much where the game was over. And I think even the announcers are saying that is going to be the play that cost them the game here. And it really just kind of makes you wonder here. It's like, you know, this was everyone says all oh, the Chiefs never get penalties called against them. But I feel like today this is one of the few times the refs knew what they were doing here and they still, you know, managed to overcome here. But I kind of want to go a little bit more marvelous here because Mahomes is a great quarterback and he's compared to another great quarterback. His name starts with Tom, ends with Brady here. And my thing is, do you think now this is time to start comparing this? Because I could see Mahomes and Brady being the next Jordan-LeBron comparison. Yeah, well, that's quite possible. I mean, obviously, when you get the Super Bowl rings, that comparison comes up. But I've always had a problem comparing people that have different teams, different eras slightly, and... uh, and and such, so it, it, you can you can just say they're both great, and that's what I would do about LeBron and, and Jordan. They're both great. They they both proved that they were tremendous. You know, the, the greatness of Brady, for example, is shown by the fact that Belichick couldn't win him when he left. So then maybe the same thing will happen here if if, you know, if there's ever a case where he does move on or whatever. Then we'll see how the Chiefs do. But you know, usually it's not one person, such as the quarterback, that defines the team. But in the case of the Chiefs, it seems that way pretty much because. They keep they keep winning. They they really had kind of a a lackluster middle of the season this year, and um, you know so this is was a remarkable comeback in a way because they weren't doing that great you know in the middle of the year. I just feel bad for that kid uh, Flowers Jay Flowers because he 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 did the taunting and he did the fumble at the one yard line. So you know he and and you know the, that that's these things happen, but. Uh, He's probably the going to be the goat in a negative way in this game. <laughs> I mean, the they the scapegoat as we'll call him is they definitely do want someone to blame here. But I mean, 
this just let's go over the Ravens here. I mean, looking at this, I mean, Lamar Jackson, you know, 20 for 37, 272 yards, one touchdown to one interception here. When it comes to rushing, he only rushed for 54 yards. It's like, come on, I thought you were more like Justin Fields. You can do better than that. <laughs> but yeah, Zay Flowers, he's still, you know, he had five receptions, 115 yards, one touchdown. I'm not sure, you know, if you want to go and blame him for the entire thing here because it looks like, especially in that fourth quarter, the Ravens just kind of forgot how to play defense, Marvelous. Yeah, that's true. It just, you know, it, it's amazing. I mean, J- Jackson, it's just funny because he's the leading rusher for that team, you know, 54 yards. And uh, and uh, so that, that's that's a weapon that um, that can be used uh, if you have a running quarterback, hint, hint. That uh, that that could be very successful, but um, I thought that uh, overall, you know, it was it was a pretty even game except for you know a few uh, plays here and there. And uh, Baltimore made a good comeback, and they had a chance down by seven uh, with the ball, but unfortunately, there was a terrific play by uh, by Mr. Holmes and a long pass to to seal the game at the two minute mark when there was a chance that Baltimore could have gotten a back and maybe gotten a field goal or better. So uh, it was a, it was a great game. It was a, you know, very interesting. And uh, hopefully we'll have a good uh, Super Bowl with, uh, you know, with the winner of the NFC, which is being played as we speak and probably San Francisco, I would bet. And the chiefs. Marvelous. You're already giving our, you know, you're going too far ahead here. But yes, at the time of recording, we are experiencing the NFC Championship game. We do not know the victor yet. By the time the show airs, y'all will probably know. But next week on the Sports Cubicle, the Marvelous one, Dan Marver, the Palacious one, Paul Trevari, Mike Mercado, myself, we're going to give our Super Bowl predictions of who we think is going to win here. Marver, you you just gave it away with what we're going to talk about, but I'll spill it out there. So that's the beans for next week's Sports (laughs) Cubicle here. And Marvelous said it best. He thinks it's going to be the Chiefs versus the 49ers, a repeat of the 2020 Super Bowl. Let's hope nothing else from 2020 also repeats in that one, Marvelous. Absolutely. You know, I, I, sentimentally, I, I would like the Lions, you know, after all these years, what was the last time they won a championship was what, in the 50s or something? It would be nice for them to, to, to get to the Super Bowl because it's been so long. You like those kind of stories, Cleveland Indians, Chicago Cubs, that kind of thing. But, uh, so from that standpoint, we'll see what happens. Like you say, we'll know uh, who it is at the point in time where the folks are listening into us. But uh, yeah, Kansas City has the magic. I'm sorry, <laughs> just looks it seems to me as though whatever it takes, they're going to just manage to to win the game. No arguments from so, the here, marvelous. But I was expecting a bigger shootout today, kind of like you know last yeah. night in the NBA, the Lakers one forty five, the Warriors <laughs> one forty four, double overtime. I was watching that game, going, "Wait, is this for real?" Yeah, well, it is for real. I mean, Steph Curry, it's like unbelievable. It's like it's like he's in a magnet in the bottom of the net, <laughs> forty six points, and the LeBron got thirty five himself, and it was the first time that they'd had. I don't know who looks up these statistics, but two players over 35 years of age that had scored over 35 points in a single game. But it was it was quite a back and forth. And I, I mean, sometimes these stuff is like standing at half court. It's it's like unbelievable. I mean, and uh, you know, I thought that that they might win in the end, but uh, LA got the last. Uh, uh, LeBron got the two free throws at the very end to uh, win the thing. But two overtimes, you know, the fans got their money's worth for their overpaid price to see the game in person. Overpaid price, overpaid beer, overpaid nachos, <laughs> all that stuff here. So it definitely pays off double overtime, you know, for a night you're going to eventually, you know, that's a game you'll never forget here. But, you know, definitely nice to see some of the greats, you know, really pulling out there. And, you know, there's there's some people that uh, they had their great moments taken away from them. And uh, Marvelous, there's a rumor going around that uh, you, you made something happen at DePaul. Is that true? Well, I, I have some... Uh, weight in the program, and as much as I've had season tickets since the early since the mid seventies. Now, I, I 1979. Most people won't even know the answer to this trivia question. But the Paul lost uh, Larry Bird's Indiana State game in the you know semifinals to enable the Magic Johnson Larry Bird game, which is still the most watched college basketball game ever, and probably always will be because of the fact there was no ESPN and such then, <laughs> so you had no choice but to watch it. And NBC with Dick Enberg and Al McGuire. But the trivia question is, who was the other team in the Final Four? <laughs> I get this. Nobody nobody ever answers this. And the answer is Pennsylvania. But in any event, so I, I was, I've was i been watching DePaul these years. So I've kind of developed 
I mean, the athletic director is new. Dwayne Peavy has been there two or three years. Before him, it was Gene Lenti Pansanto for a number of years, and she retired, and then they brought in this guy from Kentucky, you know, big-time program. So he had big-time ideas saying that Paul was going to make – his goal was to make the NCAA. But as long as they're in the Big East, in my humble opinion, they will not. (laughs) So so that's my humble opinion. But in any event, so what I – I was a long-suffering fan. I'm not a major donor, but, you know, whatever donation I, I'm making, I threaten to withdraw it forever and to ask for a refund on the rest of my season tickets. But, you know, be that as it may, I sent a nice little message on the 18th of January to Dwayne Peavy, the athletic director, saying with a copy of the ESPN story from 2011 January about Jerry Wainwright being fired in the middle of the season where he hadn't won a big, big East game in two years. So I sent it from the 18th. I mean, this was not like rocket science to figure out what he needed to do. So it might have been just a little push from a, from a longtime supporter. May have had nothing to do with it. But all I can tell you is on January 22nd, Tony Subblefield was then fired and replaced by, you know, uh, one of his assistants from the Brady Bunch. His name is Brady. So, but the Brady guy, you know, it's amazing. Game two of his tenure, he was down by three points at halftime in Omaha against Creighton. But they've now lost to 20 times in a row. So so you can understand if you think you're you got problems with the sax ring. <laughs> How would you like Brady. to be a DePaul fan? <laughs> How would you like to be a DePaul fan? So I'm, I'm not gonna say I am responsible because like I say, it wouldn't have taken you know Albert Einstein to figure out what needed to be done, but I was afraid they were gonna go on and on losing by 40 points. I mean, ridiculous game after game for the entire season. I would I want a refund of my tickets. I'm not gonna donate any money. I'm not, you know, I'm not like a million dollar donor, but I'm sure there were people that said the same thing. So it was probably not just me, but he did the right thing. He made a change and they, they're playing better. They're still going to end up losing 20 games because they've already lost 17, but be it as it may, there needs to be a change. There needs to be a whole change. The, 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 it seems the impetus of the, of the search, they're gonna, he says he's got 10 people on his list. Most of the 10 people will not take the job, in my humble opinion, because it's not a job where you're going to have tremendous success in all probability, no matter what happens. I mean, I, I, they can, they've had, they had great teams. They made the NCAA years ago, you know, back in the seventies, Laguire and Cummings and all that group and later on with Quentin Richardson and, and Simmons, but uh, they can get the studs, but they just that doesn't seem to me as though that they're going to be able to consistently compete with Connecticut and, uh, you know, and Creighton. I mean, Villanova is actually having a bad year. And I said at that time, and Villanova beat them twice, that they got crushed by a Villanova team that really isn't that good anymore. And people questioned me in the stands, and I've been proven right. They're like five, four and five or something in the conference. So in any event, I jokingly, and probably, I may have some validity, I, I'm responsible for Tony Stubblefield being replaced. But <laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, uh, it, like I said, if I was the athletic director, I would have done something to shake things up. You know, I, obviously you can't change the players in college. So what else do you have to do? <laughs> you answer that question, and the answer is obvious. Three and sixteen. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Once again, this is the sports cubicle, eight twenty WCPT from the basement. Thanking you all for on behalf of Devin, Paul, and Mike, and myself, Dan Marvin. Have a great evening.